And you know, it begins at a really young age, doesn't it? That's not fair is a common phrase bandied around in the Bennett home probably every day. And when I turn on the news or I look at the newspaper, I read of people seeking fair wages or racial justice or gender equality or commercials offering huge settlements for vehicular injustices, right? We've also recently witnessed the powerful Me Too movement seeking justice for women who've been sexually abused. And then just this week, 4 million people worldwide, inspired by a 16-year-old Scandinavian girl, marched in major cities around the globe for climate justice, as they called it. Yet if there's one concept that our society can agree is really important, it is the concept of justice. When we're talking about justice, though, we have to be clear what kind of justice we're talking about, because there are many kinds. There's criminal, civil, social, retributive, military, distributive, economic, international, administrative, and or procedural, just to name a few. And they're all different forms or categories of justice. But today, what we're going to focus on, not surprisingly, is that of biblical justice which actually encompasses all of those things, as we'll see. You see, God, by his very nature, is just. He is just and is therefore concerned about justice in every single aspect of life. But within Scripture, we can actually narrow down these kinds of justice to two broad categories, to public justice and to social justice. The philosopher Gideon Strauss says Christian justice can broadly be defined like this. When all God's creatures receive what is due to them and contribute out of their uniqueness to our common existence. Let me say that again. When all God's creatures receive what is due them and contribute out of their uniqueness to our common existence. He continues, public justice, though, is the political aspect, the work of citizens and political office bearers shaping a public life for the common good. And social justice is the civil society counterpart, non-political organizations that promote justice. Let me give you a couple of examples to illustrate this. Uh, William Wilberforce was a Christian who fought for public justice, for slaves. He fought as a member of parliament in Great Britain. Using the political system in the United Kingdom, he sought to abolish the slave trade in the early 18th uh, or late 18th and early 19th century. And he died just three days after the passing of the Slavery Abolition Act in 1833. What a great achievement. On the other hand, William Booth, also a Christian, was the man who established the Salvation Army. You may have heard of that. It's a non-political organization that sought to share the gospel in word and deed with a particular emphasis on bringing social justice and ending poverty and vice and homelessness throughout the world. Two different approaches. Christians like these and many others from those first deacons in the book of Acts to the many monastic communities that were formed from the early church right through today to John Wesley who fought for prison reform and the abolition of slavery to John Howard, Elizabeth Fry, Anthony Ashley Cooper and of course Martin Luther King Jr. They've all helped to transform the world they live in because of a belief in the need for public and or social justice a need shaped by God's word and by the very character of God and the desire to love him and love their neighbor well. 
Even secular scholars such as R.R. Palmer, who wrote in a standard college, uh, college history text that probably most of you used when you are in college, he recognized this, saying, It is impossible to exaggerate the importance of the coming of Christianity. It brought with it, for one thing, an altogether new sense of human life. For the Greeks had shown man his mind, but the Christians showed him his soul. They taught that in the sight of God, all souls were equal, that every human life was sacrosanct and inviolate. Where the Greeks had identified the beautiful and the good, had thought ugliness to be bad, had shrunk from disease and imperfection, and from everything misshapen, horrible, and repulsive, the Christians sought out the diseased, the crippled, the mutilated to give them help. Love, for the ancient Greek, was never quite distinguished from Venus, for the Christians held that God was love. It took on deep overtones of sacrifice and compassion. So let's turn to our scripture readings for today and see what we can learn about biblical justice. You can find them on the insert inside your announcement sheet if you want to follow along. And the first question we should ask is, why should we seek justice? You know, we might believe it's good, but could we answer that question as, why should I seek justice? And I think the number one reason is that, as we've already discussed, the God that we follow is just himself. He is just. In our gospel reading today, we hear Jesus, the Son of God, give his vision statement, if you will. He stands up, doesn't he, in his hometown synagogue in front of the hometown crowd, and he surprises everyone by quoting directly from Isaiah and saying of himself, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And the response he gets, which you don't see in your reading, but you may remember if you've read this before, is kind of, isn't this that Jesus kid that used to run around town with his buddies all those years ago? You remember him? Isn't this Joseph and Mary's son, Joseph the carpenter? Who is he to stand up and say these things to us? But as God himself and as his future ministry proved over the next few years, this was what Jesus was all about. This is what he was all about. Whether physical, spiritual, mental, or social, he was bringing justice. Interestingly, this is the same biblical text that the great Anglican evangelist and theologian John Wesley preached on on Monday, April 2nd, 1739, when he first decided that he should take his preaching from inside of his church walls and take it out to the world where there was a much greater need. It brought him face to face with the common people in England, the working class, the down and outs, and it ignited a Christian revival in England like they had never seen before, the likes of which hasn't been seen since either. It connected with people because it spoke to their needs. Not surprisingly, Martin Luther King Jr. also preached from these words at Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia, on the 5th of June, 1966. He called these words basic guidelines that the church must follow. He said this, you see, the church is not a social club, although some people think it is. They get caught up in their exclusivism and they feel that it's a kind of social club with a thin veneer of religiosity. But the church is not a social club. The church is not an entertainment center, although some people think it is. Monkeys are to entertain, not preachers. Continuing on, Dr. King said, if the church is following its guidelines, it seeks to heal the brokenhearted, 
Secondly, it sets out to preach deliverance to them that are captive. This is the role of the church, to free people. And then the church, if it's true to its guidelines, must preach the acceptable year of the Lord, the year that is acceptable to the Lord because it fulfills the demands of the kingdom. And finally, these are our guidelines. And if we will only follow the guidelines, we will be ready for God's kingdom. We will be doing what God's church is called to do. We won't be a little social club. We won't be a little entertainment center. But we'll be about the serious business of bringing God's kingdom to this earth. Powerful stuff, isn't it? Powerful stuff. And I've just given you a few excerpts. Go home and read the rest. You know, what Wesley finally grasped and what King knew to be true was that the Christian faith is not a passive, personal, pious faith, but rather a living, breathing, active, and involved faith. Not primarily about Sunday morning duty, a.k.a. sacrificing a thousand rams and tens of thousands of rivers of oil, but about sacrificially loving the world around us all week long. Or as King puts it, the serious business of bringing God's kingdom here on earth. Yes, as Christians, we get to participate in the bringing of the kingdom of God here on earth. You see, all people are created in God's image. Genesis 1.26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And this fact means that every single person, everyone in this room and everyone outside of this room has incredible value, incredible value. And we are called to love them, whether friends, whether neighbors, or even our enemies. And one of the primary ways we do this is by being just and by bringing justice. Or as we defined it earlier, by enabling all God's creatures to receive what is due them and contribute out of their uniqueness to our common existence. This is why we seek to bring justice. But what does seeking justice for all people look like? Well, as I mentioned at the beginning, there are two primary ways. The first is through seeking justice through social justice. That's by non-political means, okay? The second is by seeking through public justice. That's by political means or through public office. And both of these sometimes get a bad rap, don't they? Sometimes social justice is seen as a more liberal agenda, right? It's for those bleeding heart liberals out there, okay? Well, it's sort of seen as a handout to the undeserving. Those people out there don't deserve this or just something that the church should avoid altogether. But social justice, as defined by Scripture, is not monopolized by one particular political or theological agenda. It's not a left or a right issue or a liberal or a conservative issue. No, it's simply a biblical call to love our neighbor well. Mark Tooley writes this, Social justice seeks especially to protect the vulnerable, including the very young, the very old, the unborn, the terminally ill, the disabled, the poor, and the unpopular. Social justice also seeks to energize the able and the powerful towards virtue, thrift, and industry. It shouldn't seek to deconstruct, but to build. Social justice must also safeguard essential liberties rooted in human dignity and God's character, such as freedom of speech, freedom of religion, and protection of property. You see how this crosses the political and theological spectrum? Do you get that? It's not, a, it's not a one or the other, is it? It reminds me of something I heard a Christian pastor say uh, teaching last year. He said this, when it comes to social issues, Christians must be too liberal for our conservative friends and too conservative for our liberal friends. 
comes to social issues, we must be too conservative for our liberal friends and too liberal for our conservative friends. You see, God's kingdom stands far above political labels or parties, and so should we. As Christians, we are citizens of God's kingdom first. God's kingdom first, and our first loyalty is to the king of kings, not to a nation, not to a president, not to a party. Well, public justice can also get a bad rap. You know, the very idea of using government means to help bring justice for the poor and the vulnerable is seen by some as simply enabling the needy with our tax dollars. Or people just assume that government is so corrupt, it's so failing, you know, those DC politicians out there, that it's impossible for Christians to have success through or in public office. However, the theology professor Paul Metzger writes this, Unlike the earliest followers of Christ, we live in a democratic society where even criminals and evildoers have rights. And we have the ability to influence public policies and legislation. The relationship between morality and legislation is complex. They are distinct, but not completely unrelated. We should reflect on how the justice of God's kingdom influences our involvement in matters of government. In other words, don't dismiss the idea of using public justice or office for good. There are many Christians, such as William Wilberforce, who've done just this and who've helped to bring God's kingdom here on earth. The danger is when we see this as the only way to bring about change, or even a way to force people to believe what it is that we believe. As the Christian writer, uh, Christian songwriter Derek Webb once sang, there will never be a savior on Capitol Hill. It's a great line. There will never be a savior on Capitol Hill. No, we must be engaged both in public and social justice. So how are we to do this? We talked about the why, we talked about the what, but how practically do we do this? Well, in our epistle reading from James chapter one, we get some very practical instructions. We see one such way that Christians' disciples are to stand up for the vulnerable. James writes this, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And among numerous other calls for justice uh, in the Old Testament, scripture says the righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. Clearly, Christians are to engage in seeking justice, and we do so when we advocate in issues of adoption or foster care. This is a huge need in our society, and one that almost all of us, if we're honest, we could participate in some way or another. And right here in Scripture, it tells us that we're called to do this. And we're also to seek to raise the living standards of the poor as well. But beyond these things, other biblically inspired ways to advocate for justice that just seep through in Scripture include seeking racial reconciliation or uh, religious liberty for all people or to end sex trafficking that happens even here in Charleston or feeding the hungry or protecting the physically abused and the list goes on and on and on. We engage in bringing justice whenever we seek moral reform of society in a way that ensures every person is treated with dignity and given their due. And this begins in the home. It begins with how we treat each other as husbands and wives, 
or as parents and children or as kids with one another? Are we fair and just in our dealings with one another? And how do we speak in our home about the opposite sex? How do we speak about other races? How do we speak about people from other cultures or other socioeconomic groups? And it's not just about being politically correct, because I think political correctness can become something that, again, gets used in the wrong way. It's just that our words matter in front of each other, and particularly in front of our children or our grandchildren. And how do you as a family treat the laws of the land? Romans 13 verse 1 says this, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. How do we treat the laws of the land? Are they something that we can be flexible with? Or are they something that we respect and treat as people who've been, or laws that have been put in place because of the Lord himself? It goes beyond the home, though. It continues in our workplace. If you're an employer, and I know that some of you are employers, it begins with your treatment of employees. For example, do you give them vacation? Or what about health benefits? What about their salary? Is it a livable wage? Do they have that? Or how do you treat your co-workers or those that you're given to supervise? Do you treat them with justice uh, in the workplace? And then seeking justice happens in our community or our city. Are we protecting the weak and the vulnerable? Are we protecting them from abuse and other issues they may face? Are we helping to raise their standard of living and seeking to give them equal opportunities and access to the things that our society has to offer? I've been impressed by how some of our life groups have been doing this recently, whether it's at Seven Farms, Apartments, or Village, whether it's with the elderly over at Summit Place, or whether it's even seeking to take care um, of those who are in just difficult circumstances. And then there's a national component, a component. Politics, of course, often seen as a dirty word, but how do you vote? Do you take it seriously? Is it just a case of, well, I've always voted for this party, and so I'm always going to vote for them? Or do you actually investigate and look at the issues, look at the candidates, pray over who you might be called to vote for? Who is it that God is calling you to vote for each time? And then, of course, social media can be used in a national way. I'm not a huge fan, but we can use it for good, and it can be used for good for putting pressure on government authorities at times. And then there's even an international component to justice that we can engage ourselves in through groups like Amnesty International that seek to work for prisoners, uh, people who've been put in jail in countries unfairly. They seek to get them released through groups like World Vision, through actually praying for the persecuted church throughout the world who are being treated unjustly in countries abroad. Of course, we can give financially, can't we? And then, of course, as I mentioned, we can pray as well. You know, there are so many ways in so many spheres. And it, the temptation is to feel overwhelmed at this stage, right? And say, well, I can't do it, I can't do it all, so I'm going to do nothing. But again, it begins in the home. It begins in the home, and it spreads out from there. We are called to live out uh, this, this. We're called by God to be a people who seek justice. The question is then, will we choose to do it? Will we choose to do it? You know, the church hasn't always had the best record on this, has it? For an issue that so aligns with a deep desire within our culture, we often miss the opportunity to shine brightly and be a leader within our communities and our society as a whole. In our post-Christian world, where only about 20% of Americans attend a church on any given week, many skeptics view religion just as corrosive. 
It's corrosive. It's divisive. And it's a source of injustice, not justice. But you see, the kind of religion that the Bible advocates for is rooted in justice that flows from the very heart of God. It seeks to bring all things into the wholeness of God. As, as those justified by faith in the God of all justice, we are to experience the wholeness that he brings and extend it as citizens of his kingdom. And when we do this, people encounter the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we defend the rights of the unborn, the orphan, the widow, the oppressed, the poor, the abused, and the neglected, we are seeking to make whole a broken world. And this is what the gospel is all about. The good news that the God who is just made a way for all people to experience healing and wholeness by sending his son to die upon the cross for us. And the cross is, of course, perhaps the greatest paradox and yet the greatest example of perfect justice in that the right price was paid for the wrong, but it is injustice in that us, the offenders, go off, we get off scot-free. However, that injustice shouldn't breed guilt in us. Rather, it should help us to understand his great act of love such that our hearts would leap when we think of him and that we would long to follow him and bring justice to the world around us. He has told you, O man, what is good. and What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? How will you bring justice to this world this week? Let us pray. Oh, come, Holy Spirit. Come, move in our hearts. Lord, this is a tough area to talk about. And it is easy to feel overwhelmed. But Lord, we pray that you would help us to trust in you. Lord, for each person here today, would you lay on our hearts this week where it is that we can help bring your kingdom in this community, in our homes, in our workplace? Where can we be people who stand for justice and as such reflect the goodness of your gospel, the gospel news that there is healing from brokenness, that wholeness is available? that we might shine brightly like a city on a hill and others will be drawn to you to know your love, to know your mercy. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.